go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 17. We're going to spend a lot, a lot of time kind of building up the context of what's going on until we get to the end of the story. And I'm just amazed. And this is one of the reasons why um, I just really don't like chapters and verses. Because um, you start saying, well, I'm going to read, you know, I'm going to read chapter four. And then, you know, next week I'll read chapter five. And then you just kind of lose it of what's really going on. And I think you're going to see this morning uh, how beneficial it can be as you're uh, studying to, to try to read large chunks of it at a time and read it as a story and try to see some things that are going on. So, okay, Luke is going to start off uh, in chapter 17 uh, with a, a, a miracle that we're all familiar with. There's, there's 10 lepers, right? We already know where we're going with this, right? There's 10 lepers. Okay, they, they come to him and they, they, they cry out. And I guess we have to assume that they believe that Jesus can do something. So apparently they believe Jesus can do something. So they cry out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And so Jesus is going to tell them, he says, I want you to go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, why would he say this? Why would he say, go and show yourself to the priest? These, these lepers, they would have these, these terrible um, boils on their skin. It would have been smelly and disgusting. Why would he say, hey, go show and show, show yourselves to the priests? To, to prove that, to, to be welcomed back in. Well, now, isn't that really silly? I mean, isn't it? I mean, they're standing there like, and he's like, hey, go show yourselves to the priests that, that, you, that you, know, you can go back and you can worship again. And they're like, I, I don't know about this. This sounds like a really bad idea. You know? But uh, apparently, they believe him. Because as they go on their way, what happens? They're healed. And now we know that the big part of the story that we all think about, one of them realize that he's healed all of them realize that they're healed as they're going but one of them says man this is amazing I want to go back to the guy who healed me that's the first person I want to talk to not to some priest who says well okay we'll let you come back into the synagogue you know what he really wants to see is the person who healed him so he goes back to him and as he's coming back to him notice what he does he praises God He's praising God, right? Okay, and then Jesus is going to ask a question. I want to read this. As one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. This is a big part of the story, okay? Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Now what's really going on? What really is happening here, in my estimation, is Jesus is pointing out, and it seems, we don't know for sure, but it seems that some, most, maybe even all of the other nine who were healed were Jews. Right? We know at least some portion of them is because Jesus goes out of his way to say the one who came back, he was a foreigner. And he might have been the only one. 
And what we're going to catch in this very first story in Luke 17 is that it wasn't the Jews who came back. They were the ones who should have come back. They were the ones who had prayed for a Messiah. They were the ones who had hoped for a Messiah. They were the ones who were expecting a Messiah to come. And when he showed up and he performed miracles, they got mad. And they couldn't seem to praise God. But here we have the Samaritan did what no one expected him to do. Okay, so let's go to our very next story. We're going to have after the those who are healed uh, uh, from 11 and 19. Now, starting in verse 20, Jesus is going to talk about the coming of the kingdom. Right? Okay, now he's going to say, hey, listen. They say, what, what is it going to be like? And he says, it's going to be kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? Where I could just gonna, the, the, the people were not ready. Instead of focusing on God, they were focusing on sin and their own desires. He says, it's gonna be like in the time of Noah. Noah is out here building an ark to contain all of these creatures, and everybody else roaming around in there is making fun of him. Like, oh, there's no, he's crazy, he's lost his mind. Like, they had an opportunity to praise God and obey him, but they didn't. He says it's going to be kind of like Lot's wife, who she decided to look back rather than obey. He says, so it will be in the last days. What's the takeaway from this passage? People were created to praise, worship, and obey God, but many of them chose not to. Whether it was the people of Sodom, the people during Noah's time, where all of their thoughts were on evil all of the time, or even as Lot's wife, she, she knew what she was supposed to do, but she just didn't do it. Okay, so now that ends that chapter, and let's go into chapter 18 of Luke. The next story is the parable of the persistent widow. Do you want to know what this story is really about? This is a difficult one. Honestly, I think what you need to do is you need to brush up on your Greek and get a better understanding of, you know, first person, plural, you know, feminine. You know, we need to get that down, okay? You, you need to spend a lot of time trying to read between the lines, okay? And then you need to find yourself a decoder ring. And if you can do all those three things, you can figure out what Jesus was really trying to say. Or you can just read verse 1, because Luke tells us flat out this is what he's talking about. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. And I'm thankful for Luke because sometimes Jesus speaks in ways that we can't understand. He's trying to hide it to some people and reveal it to other people. Here, Luke just comes out and says, he's going to tell, tell a parable. And here he's why he's going to tell the parable. Don't need to know Greek. Don't need to read between the lines. You can throw away the decoder ring. Right? Here's what you need to know. Pray and don't give up. Pray and don't give up. Now, listen to this. I, I, I just love this story. Because sometimes we get so caught up in, you know, th this woman who's praying, 
and, and being persistent. Like I'm going to keep doing that where we forget what's really going on, right? Jesus tells the disciples the parable to show them that they should pray and never give up. Don't give up. Keep going to God. Trust Him, praise Him, and believe Him. Now, here's what I think is interesting. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be crazy or ridiculous or radical that a woman or anyone should continually go to God. We read this story and we think, wow, that's crazy. She keeps going to this judge over and over again. That seems like, wow, that's a whole lot of work. But yet, here we have, Jesus wants to say, hey, this is normal. This is what we do. Trust in God. And ultimately, the judge says, look, I, I've had enough of that. I, I can't listen to you anymore. I've broken down. Like, I think my kids have read this passage. <laughs> like, they, they have utilized this over and over again. Dad, 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 dad. Okay, okay, fine, 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 fine. But I kind of get the feeling that this woman's persistence in her praise was just as powerful as it was in her pleading. I think when she finally got what she wanted, I think she was so grateful that something happened. And I wonder if we are as persistent in our praise to God as we are in our pleading. And I, I think it's safe to say that we've all been in that place before, right? Where we've just we're overwhelmed with with sorrow, or maybe we're on this precipice of of life could go this way or life could go that way. We've been in the waiting room, we've waited for that phone call, we've pleaded with God over and over and over again, and then we get an answer, you know, and then we completely forget about it. And I just wonder what life would look like, at least for me, if I was persistent, as persistent in my praise to God as I was in my pleading to God. That what would that look like? But the point is, is this woman just didn't give up. Okay, so then we have the very next story is going to be the little children in Jesus. And this story is going to be almost kind of like a replay twice, just a little different characters. But people were bringing their children to Jesus so that Jesus could touch them, right? So that he could bless them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Get your children out of here. This isn't a daycare. This isn't a playground. Like he's busy. The master has things to do. And he's too busy for your kids. Go take them somewhere else. Clean them up. Wait till they get older. Have them learn and recite and do everything. And then when they're good enough, let them come back when they're older, when they're important. But right now, just get them out of the way. And Jesus says, what's going on here? Don't, don't push them away. Let the children come to me and don't hinder them. Who should have known this? If anybody is bringing people to Jesus, who should it be? The disciples. The disciples should be having a line saying, look, 
Jesus, we have all these people who want to see you. Jesus loved people. He loved children. He loved being in a relationship over and over again. He's drawing people in. Kids want to come see. Parents want to bring their kids up. And the disciples are like, I'm a bouncer now. You need to leave. And Jesus is saying, you should get this. You should be bringing people to me, not pushing them away. The people who should have known, who should have been drawing them in, instead were trying to keep people from Jesus. And it breaks my heart that it happened then. I'm just so grateful that that does not ever happen now these days. That we are always welcoming, that we're always bringing people closer to Jesus. Okay, so we're just going to keep on going. There's going to be another story. It's going to be about the rich, young ruler. He comes and he asks Jesus, what does he do? What does he need to do to be saved? And after some discussion, Jesus said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Now I want to stop for just a second. This is not a mandate for everybody, for all people, for all time. Okay, this is not saying that if you have two pennies to rub together that you're living in sin. Okay, if you love those two pennies more than you love Jesus, then yes, you're living in sin. Okay, but it doesn't matter the amount of pennies that you have. Okay, it just matters, do they come before God or do they not? So if you, if you read this passage and say, I'm living in sin because I have four walls and a roof over my head and I get to eat a meal, you know, God is looking down and he's shaming me. That's not what God's saying. I'm also not saying that you need to go out and step on people to get whatever you want and that, that's all God wants you to do is to be happy and, and wealthy. Okay, we're not going for the prosperity gospel right here. But I just don't want you to read this and say, oh, terrible me, like, I have, I have more than one pair of clothes, like, I'm a really bad person. But yet, Jesus understood that the money became, came before the relationship. But fortunately, the young man, he hears this, he's rich, and he immediately says, okay, I'm not gonna, this can't happen. I'm not going to let money be my God. Goes on to Craigslist, sets up a post. My camels are free. My chariot, come pick it up. My, my condo, you know, in Bethany, it's all yours. I'm going to follow Jesus. Hashtag, you know, Messiah. Does he do that? No. And this is a heartbreaking commentary to his life. It says he went away sad. And I'm just curious, how much did he really have? Can you throw out a number? Just let's make up a wild and crazy number. Let's say he was a, a, a millionaire. Let's say, let's say he was a billionaire, right? This story happened 2,000 years ago. How do you think he's spending that money now? Let's assume he had the biggest house on the block. Maybe the biggest house in all of town. 
If he lived in Jerusalem, in about four decades, it would have been reduced to rubble. All of the money that he had was gone. All of the livestock that he had, it was dead. Everything that he owned, his, his most beautiful robes have been deteriorated for, for over a millennia. Nothing's left. He traded in what he could have right now and on and on and on and on because he was holding something in his hand or he was imagining in his mind how great his robes or his house or his chariot or whatever it was, how great it was. And within 30, 40 years, whatever he had, it was gone and he was gone and he had none of it left. And he banked all of it. He gave up eternity of following Jesus and worshiping Him because he thought something that he was going to have was going to be so valuable. I don't want to be morbid, but whatever you have in 50 years won't matter. It won't matter. It won't be around. You know, you can have a really nice car. And in 50 years, it is going to be under about 14 other cars in a junkyard, smashed. Or it'll be recycled into spoons or something else. It, it won't be of any value. The money that you have, it won't matter. The house that, that you live in now, you won't be living and you won't be living in it. And it's just a reminder to us as we read this story, what he should have done, what he knew to do. Remember, if we go back, this is not like he's just some crazy, godless pagan. He calls Jesus good, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? He says, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother, honor your father and mother. And he says, all of these things I've kept since I was a boy. He knew, but he didn't do. Okay, I know this is getting hard, but just hang with me here. We're going we're gonna to keep on going along because I just want you to see this theme playing out over and over again. Jesus is going to predict his death, and then we're going to have at the end of it, towards the end of 18, we're going to have a blind beggar um, who is out calling out to Jesus. And this is going to be one of these same stories. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was asked them what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near to him, Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you, Lord? I want to see. He replied, Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people around saw it, they were amazed and praised God. Okay, but I just... Do you see the juxtaposition between the blind man and the people following Jesus? I mean, it just happened like two stories ago. Somebody wanted to come to see Jesus, and the disciple says, uh-uh, you're not granted access. Wait a while. And here we have this blind man, excuse me, 
Who? And you're awake now. <laughs> Who told the blind man to shush? Can somebody, I want somebody to read that for me. I, I'll even give you a big hint. It's in verse 39. Did you catch that? Who kept people from Jesus? Who said, shush, stop it? He says, those who led the way. Don't you find that just a little ironic? Those are the ones who are supposed to be with Jesus. They're at the front. They're the ones who are supposed to be drawing people in because Jesus was always drawing people into relationship. I mean, you go back to John chapter 4. He's talking to this woman at the well. And she's like, why aren't you talking to me? He's, he's trying to draw her into relationship. And here we have this blind man. He is begging. He is calling out to Jesus. And people hear him. And they say, stop it. Shush. I don't want to hear this. The people who should have been bringing people to the Lord were the ones that were Katie Barr in the door. They were the ones saying, you are not allowed in. Kids, you can't come in because you're too young. You can't come in because you're blind. And hint, hint, wink, wink, who's really the blind people? The ones that were preventing people from seeing Jesus. And then we have one of my favorite stories is in Luke chapter 19. It's the story of Zacchaeus. We know the story well. It's the story of the wee little man. And I didn't even try to say it in my terrible Scottish accent. But he's the wee little man. And can you guess what the takeaway is? As all the other ones were before. Jesus is drawing out the people who want to seek him. It wasn't necessarily the people who pretended, those who walked by, those who thought that they were near to Jesus. The ones that should be worshiping Jesus weren't worshiping Jesus. And the ones who weren't good enough to worship Jesus, they had problems, they had issues, they were blind, they were too young. And in the case of Zacchaeus, they're lousy, terrible sinners. These are the ones that find themselves at the feet of Jesus. Over and over, Jesus kept saying through miracles, through parables, and even through rebukes, the people who should be praising God aren't. In fact, they typically are the ones who try to stop others from seeking Him. Okay, so we have one more parable, and then we're going to get to where we're going. Oh, I didn't, step, I didn't start my timer. I guess I'll start it now. I've got 45 minutes from now. Look at that. Three, four, five. Okay, I'm doing good. Way better than I thought it was. Okay, so this last parable. Okay, we've just been following story after story after story. And what we keep seeing, this theme over and over again, there are people who should be worshiping Jesus. They should be drawing people into Jesus. Instead, they're the ones who are ignoring him or they're blind or they're pushing people away. And so then we have the story of the, of the parable, excuse me, of the minus. Okay, this is going to sound 
very similar to the parable of the talents. So if you know the parable of the talents and you can say, well, I can, I can kind of gather this one. There's a few differences. In this case, there are ten servants. Okay, and each one of them are given um, 10 minas, and then they're asked to do something with them. And so I actually just want to go ahead and, and read this story. While they were listening to this, starting in verse 11 of chapter 19, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said to them, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this mina to work. Excuse me, I said ten each, ten total. He said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. He sent for his servants who had given him, excuse me, whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my servant. His master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in very small matter, take charge of ten cities. A second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. The master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take what you do not uh, uh, excuse me, you take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have at least collected interest? Then he said to those standing by him, take his mind away from him and give it to the one who has ten minus. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away from him. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them to, here to me and kill them in front of me. So we have the story of the talents and uh, or the minus, uh, and we're only going to get uh, the version of the first three people. We don't hear what happened to the other seven, but that's, that's not important. What is important is the fact that they had an opportunity. They had been given something. What were they going to do with it? Now, there's one thing that's really interesting to me. And if you read this story, if you start in, in Luke 19, verse 11, and you start reading this, there's going to be a verse in here that's like, this is the weirdest, what is this doing in here? Like, I don't really even get it. It doesn't make sense. If you don't put it in context of 17, 18, and the first part of 19, you don't really get that verse. It's verse 14. Like, it does not fit in with the narrative. It, has, it seemingly has no point. Why would Jesus just throw this out? The thing is, he's going to go to be made king, and so he pulls in his servants and says, Hey, uh, I'm going to give you some money. I want you to take care of it, and I'm going to come back for it. And then he throws in 14 that has nothing to do with anything else. Listen to what he says. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. 
This has nothing to do with the servants. It has nothing to do with Manas. It has nothing to do with the story. Why in the world is Jesus including verse 14 or the, the statement from verse 14? Why is it even in here? What have we seen over and over and over again in the last two and a half chapters? The people who should be worshiping and praising God aren't. The disciples who are telling the little kids, go away. The other, leper, the other lepers who were healed didn't go back to praise God. The ones leading out in front are the ones telling the blind man to shush. Over and over again, the people who were supposed to worship and praise God, the ones that are supposed to recognize Jesus as Messiah, they're the ones who aren't. The ones hobnobbing around and standing out in the crowd and looking around and seeing Jesus and questioning Him, they're the ones still on the outside. It's the crazy little sinner sitting up in a tree that's looking down at Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to follow me. Because those around Jesus who should have been following Him weren't following Him. So all this, we spent a lot of time, and, and we're almost done, but we're, we're really getting to the point where hang in here and think about this. Who are the ones who should be praising God? Who should be the ones constantly pleading to God like the persistent woman? Who are the ones who should bring, be bringing in the little children and being care or, or caring for the blind. The disciples. The ones who follow Jesus. Those are the ones. And so now we're going to get to this very last one. I alluded to this, to this one this morning. But let's go to 28 and read it. After Jesus had said this, this is chapter 19 of Luke. Luke 19, 28. Good year, Lynn, remember? Had to get it in. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at a hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead. He said, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asked, Where are you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as they had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? I love this story. I love this story. This guy owns a colt. It's never been ridden. Like, it's his baby. He's like, it's, it's perfect. And he says, What are you doing with my colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. That's it. The Lord, okay. The Lord needs it. The Lord says he needs it. He can take it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As it went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. 
When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. Okay, so let's stop here for just a second. He now has the cold. He's going to be the first one that's on it. They lay their cloaks on it. He gets on it. He starts walking. And people come by. Matthew's account also has them putting down palm branches. And they're laying down the, their cloaks, their coats, you know, as, as a sign of honor to the king entering in. Okay, everybody understood what this meant. But still, it's these people who see this guy, he's on the colt, and they're like, hey, let me take off my coat. I'm going to put it on the ground so an animal can step on it. Because I want people to know, I recognize who is riding on this colt. They got it. But here's what's interesting. They're not the ones who should have gotten it. Because the very next word, or next phrase, some of the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They see what's going on. They know what's playing out. This is talking about a Messiah coming in, a king coming in. And they're saying, you better get them to stop. Tell them not to do it. Tell them to be quiet. Pick up your coat. And Jennifer, you ever said that before to your kids? Pick up your coat. Don't leave it there on, in the foyer. Tell them to pick it up. You're not really the king. These are the Pharisees. They knew the law. They had dedicated themselves Many of them had memorized the Torah. They had memorized the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Some of us have read through the first five books of the Bible. You know, that's January and February. And that's when you start to peter out. You get into Leviticus and then Numbers, and you're like, I don't know that I can make it. They didn't just read it. They memorized it. They knew all five books by heart. They wanted a Messiah. They knew that they needed a Messiah. And here he was and they were so flat blind. And instead of drawing people closer to Jesus, they were pushing men away. Don't you dare worship him. Jesus, tell them to stop. Tell them they can't do this anymore. Right? And then he says this, this famous phrase. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so what's the takeaway? Just like all the ones before. The people who should have been praising God weren't but no matter what God would be glorified a Samaritan praises God that's the leper 
a widow praises God. The children praise God. A tax collector praises God. The lowly and vile Zacchaeus praises God. The blind beggar praises God. The owner of a colt praises God. Coat owners praise God. The crowds praise God. But even if they didn't, the stones will cry out. Praise God. The fact is, all of creation is praising God. As people who call ourselves followers of Jesus, are we the ones that are praising Him? If you point a radio frequency at a star, it's doing exactly what God called it to do. If that gets pointed at us, what is our heart saying? Do our actions deceive us? Do our words betray us? Are we coming back with grateful hearts like the one leper? Are we persistently praying like the widow? Are we begging for mercy like the tax collector? Are we shushing the beggars or leading them to Jesus? Are we using all our resources for the kingdom like the servants in the beginning or are we bearing those like the third are we sharing Jesus with the little ones or are we blocking their way are we confessing and repenting like Zacchaeus or are we standing back from the table judging him are we laying down our coats like the people along the road are we shouting about Jesus in the streets like the crowd? You know, I, I talked a little bit about this in our sermon time this morning. But one of the things that I keep thinking about is the fact that we're living in really crazy times. I mean, you don't have to read a newspaper turn on the radio, tune in to Fox or CNN or anything. It's just, you know, it's, it's crazy times. People are anxious. People are divisive. People are hateful. Some of them claim not to know Jesus. Others call themselves followers of him. And it's a really tough time. And I just wonder, I just wonder how much of that chaos is because as a human race, we're not doing what we're called to do. We're not doing what we're created to do. Jesus boils it down to two things. 
love God, and love people. What would our schools look like if we loved God and loved people? What would the political realm look like if we loved God and loved people? We wouldn't have this stinking Me Too movement if people would love God and love people. If men treated women the way they should be treated, if husbands treated wives and wives treated husbands the way they should be treated, that if they're loved the way God loves them, how many fewer fights would we have at Walmart around Christmas time? How many fewer brawls where we'd have to pull adults off of each other in the middle of a kid's soccer match if people loved God and loved other people? Now here's the fact. We live in a broken world. And we, we can't act for everyone else. But I don't ever want to be the person that pushes away the blind or the young or the sinful and say, you can't come to Jesus. I just want to be the person that if they could, they could point a recorder at my heart, the one thing I wanted to say if it could just beat out, hallelujah, hallelujah. And I'm not doing a very good job of it. But I want my heart to beat, praise the Lord, and I want my actions to follow suit. And the way that I treat you and the way that I treat my neighbor and the way that I treat the other neighbor that has the dog that's always barking. I want my conversation with them to be praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And I'm gonna, I've said it a million times, but I'm going to say it again. This is just always on my heart. We are about to, to leave this place. And many of you, some of you are going to have the roast on the oven. Some of you are going to go out to a place and there's going to be a person there that serves you, right? I pray that you, the way that you treat them screams, I serve a God of love and a God who looks after all people regardless of their station, regardless of their occupation, regardless of their gender or their race, regardless of their sexual orientation. We are called to love all people. My prayer is that we, as we leave here and as we go out, the harmony of our voices and our actions and our hearts praising God will resound throughout this city. And people will walk away from the hate and the hurt and they will find comfort in a Savior who's redeemed all of us. Let's pray. Father God, I just, I thank you 
for creating the world the way that that you did and ordering it in such a way that it just absolutely works perfectly. And it's, it's just, I cannot fathom this, the science and computations and all that it would take to figure out how to make just one part work, but you make everything work together. And it all does so in obedience with your will, and in doing so because it is obedient to you, it is offering praise to you. And so, Lord, I just pray that our praise this week will be like that of the whales and the stars and the mountains and the depths of the ocean and all the living creatures. Lord, may we as a people, those who have called ourselves followers of you, may we follow you and may we bring others to you. We are going to come in contact with some people this week. And some of them are going to be in the middle of messy lives. And they're going to be angry. And they're going to be broken. And they're going to be hurt and disenfranchised. And they're going to come in contact with us. Lord, I just pray that you open our eyes. Let us speak to them in such a way that what they really hear is hallelujah. Praise the Lord. May we show the, the little town of Hobbes about a really big God who loves us all. May we do it with joy each and every day. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. All right, thank you all for being here this morning. We look forward to seeing you on Wednesday at 6 o'clock. You're just, oh, wait, Brad. Oh, yes. Okay, I'm about, I'm about to get in big, 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 big trouble. But I'm going to do it anyway because I love these people so much. And this is, this is a shock to me and it's, it's to so many other people. Please don't look at me like that. Just, Jerry. Um, Jerry and DA um, are going to be moving. Uh, they will be moving to Lubbock, and we will give you the information, but they are going to be heading out this week. And so this is going to be, this is really hard. This is going to be our last Sunday with them for, for a little while. And so we got done with class early, so I, I feel like this is okay. If you want, if you feel comfortable with, stop looking at me like that. Jerry, I'm doing this because I love you. She is just, I can see that teacher look in her. She's like, I don't want any attention, and that's why we love you so much. If you want to, let's just go surround them. They have been with us for a few years. A DA talks about how he first came. His mother brought him here on horseback. True story. And carried him in a basket. Is that right? And would hook the basket onto the onto the fence, and she would climb over the fence, and then she would grab the basket, something like that. Um, so they've been here for just a few years, and so they're going to be leaving us for a little while. Just a few years. Just a few years. So we're, I want to gather around them, and let's offer a prayer for them.